Tonight, we want to take up the subject of vain thoughts from the Bible. Vain thoughts are empty thoughts, worthless thoughts, profitless thoughts, thoughts that are stupid in comparison to God's Word. And the Bible has some things to say about that. In Psalm 119 and verse 113, we have a very short and powerful text of Scripture, I hate vain thoughts. And this is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel speaking, and he expresses an attitude that spirit-filled children of God ought to have. Remember, a vain thought is a worthless thought, a foolish thought, an empty thought, a worldly thought in comparison to God's Word. Some things are to be hated, and one of the things that needs to be hated is vain thoughts, the thoughts of men. But thy law do I love. That's the great contrast that ought to govern our minds. As we hear things, as we read things, we ought to hate the vain ideas of men and love the true ideas of God's Word, and we ought to be very proficient at discerning the difference between the two. And that's what we want to accomplish tonight. David said, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hope you can take this verse home with you and let it govern how you listen and read the things of this world. The Bible also says the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. The thoughts of man, those are vain thoughts, that they are vanity. The Lord knows their vanity. He knows that what men think up are vain thoughts, and we want to learn to think the same way. We want to be highly critical of what we hear, and we want to hold fast to God's Word. Another verse from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would say, this described his ministry, casting down imaginations. The imaginations of men, it was Paul's job to cast them down when he preached. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That described the Apostle Paul's ambition when he preached was to bring every one of his hearers or readers' minds into submission to God's Word and to throw out every imagination or thought that was there from the world or from merely men. The Bible also says, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. That's where those evil thoughts come from, is from our hearts. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can fully grasp the depravity of the human heart and the wicked and profane ideas that men can come up with and pawn them off on society as being having any validity at all? They come from the heart. Here's what the Bible has to say about all the thoughts of men and the anvil on which they all need to be tried. To the law... And to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We started out with the verse, Psalm 119, 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And this tells us that it is the Bible that that is the determining factor on what is a vain thought and what is God's law. It's to the law that we want to go. That's God's Word. It's to God's Word we want to go and want to go to His testimony where He has testified truth for our benefit. 
And if any thought that we encounter or any saying that we encounter doesn't agree with the Bible, then we can know that it doesn't have any light in it because it doesn't agree with Scripture. The Bible tells us to prove all things and to hold fast that which is good. Prove all things. That means as you hear something, you need to make a decision and you need to make a careful decision and a strong decision. Is that a vain thought or is that in agreement with God's Word? The Bible tells us to do that and to end up only holding fast that which is good. We only want good thoughts left in our head. We want to blow out anything the world tells us that is not true, that is vain, worthless, empty, profitless, and we want to end up with what the Bible teaches us, what is true, good, righteous, wholesome, and for the profit of our souls. Prove all things. You watch stuff on television, you read stuff in magazines, you surf things on the Internet, you hear things in your ears from individuals, by the media, and every, every one of those inputs into your life, you must make a decision by proving it. Is that in agreement with God's Word or is it against God's Word? Is that a vain thought or is that according to God's law? This is the verse that we want. We want Psalm 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. I want you to go home loving God's word more than you ever have before and hating the vain thoughts that the world throws at us. The worthless, profitless, stupid, foolish, inane, profane ideas that come from the imaginations of men. I hate vain thoughts. This is a godly attitude. There is a place for hatred and it's to hate vain thoughts. Let's see if we can look at some. Tonight. Do you remember this one from Sunday? This is a bumper sticker. We don't sell it at our church, but this bumper sticker is sold on the internet. He who dies with the most toys wins. That is a materialistic, carnal, lascivious approach to life that the more toys you can get and the more fun you can have, the more fulfilled and the better your life must be. He who dies with the most toys wins. This is a thought from the world. This is an idea from the world. This is a saying from the world. Is it vain? Does it agree with God's Word? What does the Bible have to say? The Bible has to say this about a man who had so many toys he didn't know where to put them all, so he had to build bigger garages to hold them, bigger barns to hold all his stuff. Jesus said these words in giving a lesson about covetousness and having toys. Jesus said about this rich man, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? God is going to take your soul away from you tonight, you fool. And then all the toys that you have stored up, on which you've based your life, you intend to retire and live happily ever after, but who's going to own all those toys because God is going to take away your soul? This is the law of God. And it goes on to say in Luke chapter 12 that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So the saying of man is vain, but God's word is what should remind us that we're going to give an account for our souls and God could take us any night. So we want to live soberly in light of God's Word. Now that's a simple one. 
He who dies with the most toys wins. But the Lord says, thou fool, tonight I'm going to take your life. Then you will not be able to enjoy any toys, and you'll give an account to God as to what you have done with your life. Here's another one. This is a popular one. No fear. Baby, no fear. They have it on t-shirts. They have it everywhere. Bumper stickers. No fear. Well, what does the Bible have to say? Is that a vain thought? Or is that an agreement with God's Word? The Bible says in Psalm 53 and verse 5, where it describes the depravity of man, the universal depravity of all men, there were they in great fear where no fear was. The world can say all they want that they're not afraid. But the Bible says that those who don't think they have any fear, He is going to make them afraid, for God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. There were they in great fear. They can put a bumper sticker on their vehicles if they wish, saying no fear, but God is going to put them in fear. God will make them afraid. God will bring calamities upon the wicked. But that is a vain thought. And we want to look at God's Word, and this is the first place we go to. Another place we go to is Jesus warning His disciples and those that followed Him, I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear. Fear Him, which after He hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear Him. I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear, is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Fear Him. No fear? There is supposed to be fear in our lives. And Jesus said, I'll forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear Him, which after He hath killed, hath power to cast both body and soul into hell. Our worst enemy in this world can only kill our body. And after that, they have no more that they can do, is what the context of this verse teaches. But Jesus warned that God is able to cast both body and soul into hell, and therefore He ought to be feared. No fear is a vain saying of men. It's a vain thought. And we should hate that thought. And when you see that bumper sticker, or you see that saying, you should hate it. And anyone who invented it you should hate. And anyone who believes it you should hate. And anyone who carries it around you should correct for having such a ridiculous statement on their person. The Bible says, Ye shall fear. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father. I am the Lord your God. In, this is Leviticus 19.3. Leviticus 19.3 is a warning that we should fear. And we should fear our parents. Fearing parents is a good thing. If parents get the foolish notion from the world that fear is bad, they're going to end up training their children contrary to God's Word. It will never work, because you have to do it God's way or it won't. But here's the Word of God. This is going to the law. The Bible told us, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. So when they say no fear, and God's Word said, ye shall fear, then we have a conflict. We have a vain thought, and we have God's law. The Bible goes further. It tells servants, a word that we would use replace today with employees, 
that they should be subject to their masters with all fear. Notice that. All fear in the job, in reporting to your bosses, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. This is First Peter 2. Again, the, the law of God teaches that fear is good. So when we see the vain thought, no fear, we should reject it, we should despise it, we should hate it, because the Bible tells us to hate it. And we should love His law that tells us to fear Him, fear our parents, fear our masters on the job, and there's many other verses in the Bible, and as well, that if we think we're going to live without fear, He's going to bring great fear into our lives for wickedness. Now this is what I I really want to get your attention with tonight. Those first two were simple. You're inside the Oval Office of our President, the President of the United States of America. This is the new Oval Office. It was completely redecorated over the weekend while he was on one of his vacations with his family. This has been completely redone. You can hopefully see the presidential seal right there on this rug that's from Michigan. It's 25% recycled wool, if that means anything to you. But it's a large oval rug to fit an oval office. Hopefully you can see over here the hardwood floors that the rug covers, except at the edges. It's, this is the oval office. We could say that this is the most powerful office in the world, where a man sits and directs the affairs of our nation and meets with the heads of state of other nations. Now, this rug is unique in that there are thoughts of five men in the border of this rug. Let's not worry about the flags, chairs, sofas, and the color that were chosen. It looks quite different from the candy-striped sofas of President Bill Clinton that he had there, white and red. And uh, the blues that you're used to seeing in the Oval Office rug. Let's get a closer view. Now you can see the thoughts that are written into the edge of the rug. And here's a man that's going to make sure you don't take the rug home if you get close enough to take a peek in the Oval Office. But I hope you can see in the border of this rug in the Oval Office that was just put in place this past weekend and got me stirred up. Like the Apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, the Bible says he was stirred up when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I got stirred up when I saw five statements that are on, that are written in those nice big letters that you can see so clearly from five men, and I realized the thoughts are so vain. The President's new rug, with the thoughts of these men, we have President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was our president in the first stages of World War II, President John F. Kennedy, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and Martin Luther King, Jr. These are the thoughts. We want to consider them. Remember our verse. Don't forget this verse. Psalm 119 and 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Is that how your mind works? Are you critical? Are you a discerner? Do you perceive when a lie is being stated, no matter how lofty the person that promotes it, or how many agree with it, are you able to recognize that is not true? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Let's start with President Roosevelt. 
There he is sitting at his desk when he first took office. He lived 1882 to 1945. He died in the latter stages of World War II. What was the saying, or what is the saying, that is on the president's rug from President Franklin D. Roosevelt? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, that's an interesting statement. It makes for good newspaper ink. It's a typical political soundbite. And you've heard it many times before. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, that's a ridiculous statement. This is made about World War II. There were a whole lot of things to fear. There was losing a couple million lives to fear. There was millions around the world that lost their lives to fear. There was the great economic cost to our nation to fear. There was a German army that was six to ten times better than our army to fear. There were lots of things to fear. What's he talking about? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. His saying is no different than that bumper sticker right there. No fear. No difference. It's just written a little bit better because he had more space than a bumper sticker. What does the Bible say? This is what the book of Revelation tells us in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come. Now I don't believe that Revelation 14.7 is directly speaking about World War II. But I want to tell you God brought His judgment on this world with World War II. And when God brings His judgment, it's time to fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. This world was turned upside down with that war. Sixty million lives overall lost during World War II. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea. Instead of saying, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, He should have said, fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea, and then go volunteer to serve in the armed forces, and let's defeat these enemies that have bombed us in Pearl Harbor and whatever else they did that got us into the war. And I know there are many conspiratorial theories about our entrance into World War II, but that is totally unnecessary and will never profit you if you spend one minute on it or a thousand hours. The issue is, President Roosevelt should have spoken more in line with Revelation 14.7 than the little soundbite that you've heard and thought was very noble. Maybe. Hopefully, you were able to look at a statement like that and say, what's he talking about? We should fear God. We should fear the loss that's going to take place. One life being lost is something that we should fear and wish did not have to take place. Let's go to President Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy said, the welfare of each of us is dependent fundamentally upon the welfare of all of us. Now that's a very nice socialistic statement that was made a long time ago. That we've all got to do well for any of us to do well, which is totally false as I'll show you from the Bible. Now, a statement like this could get us off the subject and into socialism versus capitalism versus 
free economics that the Bible teaches, but we're not going to chase that rabbit. We just want to look at this. The welfare of each of us is dependent fundamentally upon the welfare of all of us. God's never operated that way. Here's what God has to say, and I can only give you a sample. The Lord maketh poor, and the Lord maketh rich. He bringeth low, and he lifteth up. Now, would you tell me that in order for anyone to prosper, that everyone needs to prosper? Or can God cause some to prosper, others not to prosper, others to go higher and be raised up, and others to be brought down? You need to learn to think, and to think with discernment, and to think critically. The thoughts of man are vain, is what God said. David said, I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. Now, I love this verse because this is God's law. This tells me what makes the world go round. The Lord makes some poor, and he makes others rich. He bringeth low, and he lifts up. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. Now, does that sound like all men are prospering and that they are all doing better in order for every individual to do better? Or can an individual do better? That means being set up while another individual is put down. Oh, it's so nice. We're all going to band so tightly together as a nation that we don't ever want to think about anyone getting ahead of the rest of the pack. That's socialism taught early in our country with a little soundbite. But this is the Word of God. Let's keep looking at the Word of God. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now, when we're describing David as waxing greater and greater, does that mean that he was just moving along with the rest of the nation? Or would that be a violation of the word greater? Does the word greater mean that there is some comparative measure here between David and the rest? For the Lord of hosts was with him. If God does not make able to make exceptions and to lift some up and to bless them, then the Bible's question is valid. Is there any reward for the righteous? There is a reward for the righteous. He makes differences. There's differences that are based on natural law, which are confirmed in the Bible by Solomon's wise observations. He becometh poor. Here's a poor man. He becometh poor. That means he's going down that dealeth with a slack hand. He's lazy. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. This is a natural law. The society does not move together. The rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. The diligent get richer, and the lazy get poorer. This is a law of nature. Solomon observed it. Solomon blessed it with inspired proverb for us to remember. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. We've just covered two of the thoughts of five men that are on the new rug installed in the Oval Office this past weekend. What about President John F. Kennedy? He's a good-looking man. Let's see what he said. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Now, that's a wonderful promise, and that makes people feel so warm and comfortable that there's no problem, there's no asteroid, there's no comet, no earthquake, no pestilence, there's nothing that can affect humanity 
that humanity itself cannot preserve itself from. We can protect ourselves from anything that would affect our race. Now, brethren, when you see something like that, and it comes from someone as illustrious and as revered as that president of our country, and it's quoted in textbooks, that doesn't mean it's true. You need to learn how to think critically. This is a vain thought. This is a ridiculous thought. If President Kennedy, and I did not do the research to find out what year he made this statement, if he made it in 1962, I can tell you he didn't make it in 1964. Because something happened to his destiny in 1963, and I don't mean to speak disrespectfully, I mean to speak critically of this statement. What does the Bible say? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. That is human destiny. Human destiny is that we keep producing an unclean progeny, unclean descendants. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? If President Kennedy's statement is true, then there ought to be someone, maybe his government, that could bring a clean thing out of an unclean. But no one can. Do you know the law of God so that you're able to take Job 14.4 and correct a statement like that by President Kennedy? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Let's keep looking at how vain President Kennedy's thought was. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. When it's time for your spirit to leave your body and to be present before the Lord, you're not going to hold it back. Neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. The destiny of the human race is to die. Can the human race stop death? No. There we have the law of God set in contrast to the thought of President Kennedy. The one is a vain thought, and this is the word of God. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. For when they shall say, peace and safety. When human beings or humanity are able to say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. There is judgment coming from heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no stopping his coming. The destiny of the human race is sealed and the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of it. And human beings or humanity will not stop him. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is humanity fleeing away from the face of Jesus Christ sitting as judge. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the destiny of the human race, and human beings will not alter that destiny. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. We have children in here going to school and being taught a bunch of drivel and twaddle. And I don't care whose name is beside, behind it, beside it, or under it. I don't care how many sources they have 
for that particular saying. I don't care how many other men used it. I don't care how well it's received. If it doesn't match up with God's Word, there is no light in it. President Kennedy and every president we've had should be very concerned about the destiny of the human race. We're going to all stand before God and give an account for our lives. And everything done in our nation should be serving that end to prepare a people ready to meet the Lord. He's way off track. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, Government of the people, by the people, for the people. What address did he say these words in? The Gettysburg Address. After these words, did he say that the the government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people shall never perish from the earth? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I don't care if you like Abraham Lincoln or not. I want you to think about what he just said. Government is not of the people. It's not by the people, except it's paid for by the people. The Bible does say that. And it's not for the people. It's for the glory of God by enforcing God's law upon people and making them do what God wants them to do. What does the Bible say about government? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. So it's not a government of the people. It's a government of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Government does not originate with the governed. Government originates with the greatest governor of all, the Lord of heaven and earth. He ordained civil government, and Romans chapter 13, the first seven verses, teach us that. The Bible tells us, and this is a verse that we've used on several occasions recently, and Chris Carnell began our tradition of using this verse a few weeks ago when he told you about the Lord revealing secrets to a man that he hired to find some lost data on a hard drive. But it says about the God of heaven, He changeth the times and the seasons, He removeth kings, and He setteth up kings. Government is ordained by God in concept. Government is ordained by God in actual, factual, de facto existence. And the men in those offices are ordained by God. Government is of God. Much more could be said on that other one. It's a spirit of rebellion and anarchy that has affected our nation from the very beginning. The Declaration of Independence is one of the most rebellious statements that man has ever formed. I've tried to tell you that in the past. It's a whole study in and of itself. But that statement basically says, whenever government doesn't give you what you want to do, then go ahead and overthrow that government and establish a government that will let you do whatever you want to. That's the Declaration of Independence. How many of you would like your wife telling you that if you're a husband? How many mothers would like their children telling you that? That they have decided, since you haven't allowed them their liberties and freedom to do whatsoever they want, that they're going to get rid of you and establish a new mother that will allow them to do whatever they want. You say you're speaking heresy because you're speaking against the founding fathers of our nation. I don't care what they founded. All I care about is what does the Bible say? I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. I just can't leave that subject yet. Can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar getting the Declaration of Independence? We have decided, O King Nebuchadnezzar, that since you've been a little hard on us, chopping people into little pieces and turning their houses into dunghills, that we're going to establish a new government. 
that will allow us to do whatever we want. Hello? You haven't ever read any world history or the Bible. He was the head of gold and God called him the king of kings. He didn't cotton to such thinking because the thought is vain. Martin Luther King Jr., now he's no president, and we don't owe him the respect that we owed the first four men. I hope I spoke respectfully of the first four men, though I don't speak very respectfully of some of their thoughts. Because their thoughts are vain, I'm supposed to hate them, I'm supposed to teach you to hate them, and we're to love God's law. Now this man, he never held any political office in our country. He is an imposter in the Baptist ministry. He was an anarchist and a whole lot of other things that you can simply go online and look up and find out all you want to. But let's look at one of his sound bites from one of his sermons. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Well, now, maybe if you were in calculus, Austin, maybe you'd want to work on this to see if you can find the slope of this arc, the curve of this arc. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Well, now, if he's talking about mankind, mankind's pursuit of justice does not get closer and closer. Man gets farther and farther away. If he's talking about God, God has no arc in his justice. He has the perfectly straight and perfectly sharp edge of a two-edged sword that proceeds out of his mouth. And it's the Word of God. What does the Bible say? As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There's no one getting close to justice. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There is no ark, and it's not approaching justice. If we speak of God, the Bible says He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. His work is perfect. He's not bending toward it. For all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. This is what the Bible says. I don't know what in the world the man was talking about, And don't think because your literature teacher told you that when somebody comes up with a sentence like that, they have deep meaning behind it. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't have deep meaning behind it. He had a soundbite to arouse an audience. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. This is the Bible's prophecy about the ark of the moral universe. It's waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, our purpose is not to make fun of men. Our purpose is to make fun of their thoughts. Just like Elijah did with the prophets of Baal. What are you guys yelling so loudly for? Is your God sleeping? Is Baal asleep? Well, we're going to point out that these thoughts are vain, and we want to compare them to God's Word. Here we are back in the Oval Office. We look at that rug, and we've just went through the five thoughts of man that are the entire border for that rug for our Oval Office. It's a terrible disappointment to realize those are the five statements he personally picked, our president personally picked, to have put into his rug for the Oval Office. How about a few of these? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now that has a good ring to it. It's short and it's true for a change. It's true. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. God's law says repeatedly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there's one thing a president needs, it's this thing right here. Wisdom. And what's the beginning of it? How do you get started with being wise? The fear of the Lord. That fundamental axiom from which you reason everything else is the source of wisdom. When Proverbs 8 says, by me kings reign... You know, a president should want to know, how can I reign well? How can I decree justice? Instead of reading about the arc of the moral universe bending toward justice, this verse says, by me kings reign and princes decree justice. Can somebody help me? By me. Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8 is that lengthy personification of Lady Wisdom, and she's speaking. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. Wouldn't that be great on that oval rug? What a text! How about mercy and truth preserve the king? Mercy and truth. Aren't those two wonderful concepts and, and subjects in the Bible that are brought together in an expression that's used about eight times? Mercy and truth preserve the king... And his throne is upholden by mercy. Just think if those three were around the rug. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Could we come up with a few more? Could we come up with a hundred pages more? What's the name of this boat? Let's call it a ship. I think it deserves it. It's a ship. It's the Titanic. Was there a vain thought about this Titanic? A White Star employee said on May 11th, 1911, now the White Star line is what, who is the company that owned the Titanic. The White Star employee on this particular date, 11 months before the Titanic's maiden voyage, said not even God himself could sink this ship. Now, what happens to you when you read a statement like that? Does it affect you like Paul in Athens when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry? Does it irritate you? Do you get angry? Do you say, what fool would say such a thing? That, that is probably the death knell for that ship. What does the Bible have to say about thoughts like this? We don't even need one. You know, I didn't even put one in here. Because you know what's going to happen when a man says, not even God himself could sink this ship. How about this man? Now, some of you are too young to even know who this man is. But the older half of the congregation knows who this man is. Look at that nice smile. He's got great teeth. They were worked on a few times. Look at his hair. Tan. Look at that ring on his pinky. Nice long white shirt. Look at that man. Dean Martin. One of the biggest entertainers of a number of years ago in our country. Did he have any thoughts about life? Here's one of his favorite thoughts. I did it my way. Did he sing a song that he did it his way? Is he doing it his way now? 1995 was the end of his way, and now it's the Lord's way. What does the Bible say? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider 
your ways. Haggai 1.5. That's what the Lord of hosts says. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted His way upon the earth. What did He do because of Genesis 6.12? He drowned the entire world for doing it their way instead of His way. God has a way that He wants us to live, and it is found in the Bible. And He wants us to consider our ways to make sure they match up with His way. Frederick Nietzsche. Now that is Adolf Hitler with vitamins, as you can tell by his mustache. And I will not be kind to this man. This man is an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ of the highest order. If you ever wonder why Germany got smashed twice in two world wars, one of the reasons that doesn't take a whole lot of connection is the God-hatred that came out of Germany in the 1800s. Their philosophers and their theologians, if you want to call them that, and their humanists wrote terrible things against God, and Frederick Nietzsche is one of them. And for you young people that have to take philosophy courses and other courses where this man may be referred to, and there's a whole lot more that could be said about this man, but I will go too long tonight and get off my track. There are things known about this man in his life and how he died that are worth reading. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is a German. This is what the Germans are known for. Hatred of God. This is what they've been known for for the last 150 years. I don't care if Martin Luther was there 400 years ago. They forgot all about him. They are God-haters like no other nation in Europe. Friedrich Nietzsche. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. Is from one of his books. But the Bible says this, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And Frederick Nietzsche knows that Jesus Christ has those keys. Now, he's known that for a hundred years. God is dead? That is a vain thought of man. The Bible says, I am he that liveth. God remains dead. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That does not sound like remaining dead. Amen, he says to himself, and have the keys of hell and of death. I know I read it twice. I like the sound of that. If you want sound bites, Revelation 1.18 is a sound bite. But it's not. It's full of sense. It's full of richness. It's full of value. It's full of truth. It's full of power. It's full of a warning that we should humble ourselves before this Lord Jesus Christ. James Dean. How long did he live? Let's do some quick math. 24 years. What's the five-letter word that starts with R that James Dean was known for? Rebel. What was the name of one of his movies? Rebel Without a Cause. What was the name of another movie? Born to be? Born to be Wild. James Dean. 24 years old. Popular pop icon. Died in the early 50s. Very instrumental in the destruction of the youth of this country 
by Hollywood giving him a pulpit to preach his religion from. Do you want to see his religion? Here it is. Get ready. The thoughts of man are vain. At least the others went to school and had a little bit of intelligence. Now we've got James Dean. The only thing he knew how to do was to slick his hair back, smoke a cigarette, and wear jeans that were too tight. Here we go. Dream as if you have forever. Live as if you only have today. Deep. Helpful. Is that true? Dream as if you have forever? Live as if you only have today? Or are we supposed to be living in light of eternity and dreaming with the realization that today could be our last? This man is totally contrary to the Word of God. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. What does the Bible say? Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. That is what James Dean should have been thinking about. He should have been preparing himself to meet his God because he met God at the age of 24. And he doesn't believe what he once said. The lifestyle of James Dean is self-destructive. 24. What else does the Bible say? Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way, this their way is their folly. Is that another way of saying The thought is vain. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. Stop and think about it. Is there a whole generation that love James Dean? What is the statement that is made about James Dean and him dying at the age of 24? Only the, only the good die young. That sounds like another vain thought, doesn't it? Oh, I know, uh, I'm stepping on some sacred territory now. Vince Lombard, Mark, please see me after. We have some work to do, serious work. This is Vince Lombardi, the head football coach of the Green Bay Packers and the winner of a couple national championships. Now, tomorrow night, I believe, starts the college football season. The NFL professional football season has already started several weeks ago with its preseason. But I want you to think about whatever you hear on ESPN. And if any of you watch football games, I want you to realize that most of the stuff that comes out of those men's mouths is less than the men that I've shown here because at least the men that I've shown here were educated. So that their thoughts were at least educated. The morons that work for ESPN are not educated. They are dealing with a fourth grade mentality. And I want you to be critical. I know I'm being critical right now. I have as much, my flesh enjoys that as much as anyone in here. But I also want to hate vain thoughts and love God's law. What did Vince Lombardi, the esteemed and highly revered Vince Lombardi, have to say, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Now, he was a Roman Catholic and a devout one for his entire life, so that was consistent with his religion, which really doesn't require anything out of him except to make it to Mass and to buy candles to keep the Roman Church in business. But here's what the Bible says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the whole matter, 
And this is the conclusion of it. This is the end of the preacher's book of philosophy. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. It's not winning. Winning isn't everything and winning isn't the only thing. The only thing, the the, the most important thing, the whole thing, the conclusion of the whole matter and the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. I know that we could try to put Vince Lombardi's statement into some sort of a context. But if you knew Vince Lombardi, there wasn't much of a context to put it into. Football was his life. Football was his religion. For those of you that come from the state of Michigan, you know that the greatest college football newscaster or sportscaster that there ever was was Bob Eufer for the University of Michigan football program. He's all over YouTube. You can go listen to him. You can find out that everyone knows he was the best. But what was college football, especially Michigan football, to Bob Eufer? It was his religion. And he would tell you that every Saturday in the fall. What is, brethren, if we let, if you're going to take the risk of exposing yourself to ESPN and other sports programming, you've got to have your mind prepared. I hate vain thoughts, but God's law do I love. That was a vain thought. That was so stupid. Why did he say that? I want you to be thinking that way no matter what you read or where you go or what you're doing. Now, there are people in here thinking that what they do is more noble than watching spectator sports. But if you were to take what they do and put it down in a T account, it would have as many faults with it as watching spectator sports. Unless you're in the Word of God and reading God's Word to find out statements of truth. How about this one? This is a vain thought. Where is the vain thought? Can you read it at the bottom of the picture? Now, I love seeing jets in formation and just think... Three jets have red smoke, three jets have white smoke, and three jets have blue smoke. I mean, it is red, white, and blue. That's a neat picture. United, we stand. Our response to the terrorist attack, or whatever attacked, the Twin Towers in New York City, was that we can whip this if we'll be united. What does the Bible say? Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Now, the only way you can get into that verse when you see that postcard is to know that verse is in the Bible and to have read a proverb commentary about it that emphasized these words in the middle of it, though hand join in hand. United we stand? No. You can unite all you want. It's not going to help you at all. Because everyone that is proud in heart And if there's ever been a nation that was proud in heart, it was the one you live in. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. What did they do as a response to the Twin Towers? Was there any repentance? Or was there just singing, God bless America, as if he owes us a blessing? There was no repentance. Jesus would say, when he was told about a tower that fell in Siloam, he said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And that's what should have been preached from the Oval Office. Except ye repent, we're all going to perish. Let's have a national day of repentance. Let's have a national day of fasting. Let's be like the Continental Congress 
that use thanksgiving for a day to avoid our ordinary amusements. Which might be innocent on other occasions, but let's confess our sins to the God of heaven. Which is the source of all our blessings. You know how much I love those Continental Congress statements. They didn't last long. Though hand join in hand, united we stand, won't do a bit of good. How about this warning to God's people in Isaiah 8? Associate yourselves, O ye people. Now please follow this with me, and it's not a typo. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Go ahead and get united. You're going to be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. You think there's a typo? No. The warning is, go ahead and associate yourselves. Go ahead and believe a little bumper sticker united we stand. You're going to be broken in pieces. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Are you able to discern and perceive a vain thought and to know where in God's law that thought is overthrown and proven to be vain? Remember, you're to prove all things. The application of tonight's Bible study? Hate vain thoughts from whatever source. I don't care what you esteem higher than what others may esteem. Your hobbies may be different than other hobbies in this church. Your liberties may be different from other liberties. Your inputs may come from a different source than other inputs. But hate vain thoughts. If it's an empty, profitless, contrary statement to the Word of God, hate it. Love God's law by learning it well. I have brought tools to give you. Online Bible. Alexander Scorby reading and pages of a Bible flipping on a big screen television should be an easy way to get God's law into your heart and in your mind. This is what you need to do. It's not enough to hear me take some vain thoughts and expose them in light of God's Word. It's you getting full of God's words so that you can perceive the vain thoughts. Prove all things. Everything you hear, prove it. Question it. Don't believe it. If it comes from men, if it comes from ESPN, if it comes from television, if it's in a magazine, if it's in a newspaper, if it's on the Internet, don't believe it. Question it. Attack it. Does that measure up to the Word of God? Prove all things and only hold fast that which is good. Despise those that come up with these vain thoughts, along with hating the thoughts themselves. Disregard the popularity of thoughts. Who cares how popular it is? The world that then was crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. The world that then was drowned in the flood. The world is the enemy of righteousness today. It wants to outlaw the Ten Commandments and reject them from our public zoo system. It doesn't want those Ten Commandments there. It doesn't want God's Word declared. It doesn't want creationism taught alongside evolution because they have already set their mind against God to believe in evolution and choose that as their godless origin of the universe so that they can get rid of a God telling them how they ought to live. Who cares how popular it is? This is what you need to do. Hate vain thoughts. Love God's law. Prove everything that you hear. Despise the inventors of those thoughts and disregard their popularity. Hate 
vain thoughts in esteemed venues. It doesn't matter where it comes from. If it doesn't agree with God's word, it's wrong. It may come from your employer. No matter how noble he is, they are. No matter what their mission statement may declare. If they have a vain thought, hate that vain thought. Hate every vain thought and love God's word. Literature classes are vain thoughts. Literature classes is one of the worst things any of you young people will ever do is to take a literature class. The books they have you read are trash. They are profane hallucinations of wicked men. There is no deep or hidden meaning. After the students have, 20 students in a room have read one of those literature books and they sit around in a circle and the teacher says, Johnny, what do you think the author meant? Well, by the time they get done, there's 30 opinions in the room because 10 have changed their opinion after they heard the other 19. It's ridiculous. And they're profane. Literature classes. Every one of you going to school where literature class is using books and materials written by the world, it's a vain thought. Why don't they use the Bible? Can you imagine having the Bible as your literature book? It's got poetry. It's got apocalyptic literature. It's got history. It's got theological, logical argumentation in the book of Hebrews. It's a wonderful book. Proverbs. What else would you want? Sports are filled with vain thoughts. Bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Learn great thoughts of the Bible. You need to be learning. Don't just come to church and sit. Go home and learn. Read your Bibles. Learn those verses. And there's so many more. Let Scorby read them to you. Search them on an online Bible. Trace them through the treasury of Scripture knowledge. But learn great thoughts of the Bible. And speak of those great thoughts to one another. Let's have our favorite verses. Let's tell each other our favorite verses. And let's love the statements of God's Word. Amen. There's more that you could look at on this subject. But that's it for now.